Hey, everybody, welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing, plus all of our other podcasts. And man, we've got a lot of good ones rolling out these days. So you can check out all of those at blisterreview.com. Okay, today we've got two different things on tap for you. First, I'm going to be talking with Jeff Thompson, who is the co-founder and product design engineer at Shaggy's Copper Country Skis. And I'm going to go through with Jeff sort of an overview of Shaggy's, how they're doing things there in northern Michigan, where they build all of their skis. So we first go through kind of some of the general characteristics of the designs and builds that they're doing there at Shaggy's. And then we have Jeff walk us through the 2021 Shaggy's lineup. There's some really good stuff in there, and Jeff does a very good job of talking about the philosophy behind their approach at Shaggy's, and then as well getting into some of the design elements, including their use of magnesium which is kind of new to me, but they're using magnesium rather than tetanol in some of their skis. So you are going to want to learn more about that. And then when Jeff and I wrap up talking for this week's What We're Celebrating segment, well, it's been dumping here in Crested Butte, like full winter for the last 48 hours. And so for this week's segment, our reviewers Luke Coppa and Drew Kelly just went and skied POW this morning, and I'm recording this on Wednesday, September 8th. So I figured for this week's segment, I should just talk to Luke about how their September 8th POW day was. So that's what we've got on tap today. Two really interesting conversations. Now, just one more thing. I am excited to tell you about something that I am certain that every single one of you needs to check out. It's a service that a company called Spot is providing, and since ski season is just around the corner now, well, that means that freak ski accidents are also just around the corner. So listen up here. Spot provides injury insurance that is actually affordable, and Spot covers your medical bills up to $20,000 each time you get injured. Now, I mentioned this yesterday on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, but I am really, really passionate about this topic because I know for a fact that a lot of us in the mountain bike community and in the ski and snowboard community are either uninsured or grossly underinsured. And then even those of us who are fortunate enough to have some decent insurance, we often still have to pay sky high deductibles. So what Spot is doing here is presenting a real solution to a very serious need in the outdoor space. That's why I care about this. Bottom line, you know that it's just a matter of time until your next bike or ski or snowboard crash, and we here at Blister want all of you to have coverage. Now, that said, Spot policies have you covered 24-7 worldwide, whether you are out there getting super gnar or whether you just slice up your finger trying to, like, cook dinner for somebody. And even better than that, Spot has no deductible, and it is a monthly subscription, so you can cancel any time. And another thing, Spot works whether or not you have health insurance. Spot coverage starts at $25 a month, depending on what state you happen to live in. So that's basically $25 a month for $20,000 worth of coverage. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to promise me that you will go to blister.getspot.com and just take a quick look. It is a really clean and clear page. So I just want you to check it out then ask yourself if it wouldn't be a really, really smart thing for you to do to get $20,000 worth of accident coverage. So just take a look at blister.getspot.com, sign up, tell your friends about it, and then we can all just get back outside and keep doing all the things we love with a lot more peace of mind. 
So again, that's blister.getspot.com and do yourself a favor and get yourself some coverage before you go case your next landing, okay? And so with that, let's go ahead and first talk to Jeff from Shaggy's Copper Country Skis. Here we go. Well, Jeff, how are you today and where are you today? I am uh, I'm doing really good here in northern Michigan. It is about 40 degrees, so we are uh, we're loving it. We're getting the fall crisp air coming in and jealous of the snow you're getting out there. <laughs> we're getting a lot of snow currently. Like it hasn't really stopped snowing the last 2 days here in Crested Butte, which our managing editor Luke Coppa and our our reviewer uh, Drew Kelly are literally out skiing right now. All I'm going to say is hopefully not on a pair of shaggy skis because whatever they took out today is going to be de- absolutely destroyed. Absolutely, they're probably skiing on ten to twelve inches somewhere around here right now. So, um, wild times. Well, that you know what? That's all we need here. If I get if I get ten to twelve inches, I'm taking my rack skis out. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, the order of the day is to kind of get caught up on where things are with Shaggies and kind of walk through this coming season's lineup. And so just before we get there, though, the last time you and I recorded a conversation, we actually talked almost not at all about skis because you guys were one of the very first outdoor industry companies out there to sort of pivot and start making personal protective equipment. We aired that conversation over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast channel, but I think maybe we have to start by just getting a little bit of an update on that and how that pivot went for you guys. Yeah, so back in March, we were contacted from a local hospital to make face shields. We had really no idea what we were getting ourselves into other than we knew we could make it, so um, for about two months, we were making the disposable face shields, and it kept everyone busy. We were able to stay working. Um, we, were, we were blessed to be able to continue to work. We pumped out an absolute ton of face shields, probably more than I ever thought possible. And that really kind of, like I said, for about two months, we were really going after that. Um, and that was into, that was essentially our, our whole shutdown period. After that, when things started opening up, we uh, we were working with another local manufacturer that was that's been injection molding a, a piece for us that kind of like puts a, another face shield out further, um, so you can get a dental loop behind it. And really, we've been kind of selling those. They're a little they're a reusable kit. Um, we've been making different lenses for it. So we've actually been selling those to a lot of individuals and dental offices actually since about the beginning of May. And it's definitely slowed down now, but it's it's almost like we get as many calls for PPE now as we do for skis on the phone. <laughs> so it's something that we've we've told everyone that as long as there's a need, you know, for a for a high quality uh, face shield, we are gonna keep making them. We're not gonna let anyone go, you know, go without at this point. So we've kind of currently we have taken the last little bit of square footage that we have in our in our shop, which is our showroom. And that has been fully converted to just making face shield parts. So we have no showroom currently. And all of our skis, we we have a tent out in our parking lot where people can come and check everything out. But we're kind of still going at that. But we are in, we've been in full ski production since June. And then a little more background here. For those who maybe aren't intimately familiar with Shaggies, tell us a bit about where you're located, where you are building skis. Tell us a little bit about the background of the company and that sort of thing. Sure. So Shaggy's was founded in 2005. Actually, my brother and I um, started building skis in a garage, just like, you know, it seems like the story of most uh, small ski builders are even large now. Started building skis as a hobby. We were ski racers and we were located in Northern Michigan. So it's kind of it's ski central. We might we might not have the biggest hills here, um, and I you notice I say hills, not mountains. Um, but we get a lot of laps in, and we're hills is a perfectly acceptable term. Like every half the people I know out here and like in all walks still always just talk about going to the hill. So I I think 
I think we have absolutely no distinction between hill and mountain, and I'm I'm actually totally fine with that. If if you can ski down it, I think we're good. Amen. That's uh, you know that's what it's all about. It's about sliding down you know sliding down the snow and smiling when you get to the bottom, and pro- probably on the way too. But so we started making skis in 2005, um, and in 2008 we decided that we were going to start um, making more than one of the same ski. And my father got involved and we really, we started kind of experimenting into um, making different shapes. Like I said, making a couple more of the same ski, selling them to friends and family. In 2011, we moved out of a barn into our first uh, commercial shop. And that was when we really started making go of everything. Um, we were located in, uh, like I said, in Northern Michigan, right on the shores of the Great Lakes. Um, so we get a, a good amount of lake effect snow, but we also um, ski on lots of man-made snow when it's not, uh, when, when there's not any fresh coming down. We've got like our own ecosystem of, of different weather that blows in from the Great Lakes. So we, uh, we get a lot of different conditions to ski on. So given your location, I'm curious how much you think your locale has affected and influences the design of your skis versus, you know, maybe an approach where it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, we happen to be located here in Northern Michigan, but the way that we approach ski design, we don't think is terribly, terribly influenced by our exact location of, you know, where we happen to live and build skis. Yeah. So being in Northern Michigan, we have a little bit different terrain than you'll find in the mountains. It definitely influences the way that we design skis when we're looking at something. We say, first and foremost, the ski has to perform in conditions that are maybe not ideal to everyone. When it's hard pack and you haven't, you know, you haven't seen fresh snow in a while, the ski has to work really well. When you're skiing on a shorter run, you have to be able to make that ski, you know, bend and actually turn quicker, you know, without necessarily just making it a slalom ski. And, you know, we skied in a lot of, a lot of tight trees. So those are definitely design constraints, but when it comes down to it is skiing is skiing. You can take your principles from skiing in the Midwest and you can take them anywhere in the world. You, a good skier is a good skier. So, you know, it doesn't really matter your location. Sure. You are not going to go to Boyne mountain. That's five miles down the road from us and go big mountain skiing. It's not going to happen. But if you go and bash gates for a while, you can, uh, you know, you, you certainly learn the fundamentals. So while it definitely influences us, you know, we, we tend to say that we design for, you know, conditions that may not be the best so that you can have a lot of fun in those. And when the conditions get better, you know, that much easier. If someone is like, all right, I have never skied a shaggy ski. And they said, tell me a little bit about what I might expect. What are some of the general characteristics what are sort of the top one or two or three things you might point out about, again, talking about a kind of generalization about what somebody's going to find with a shaggy ski as opposed to, say, somebody else's? Yeah. With a shaggy ski, you are, like, first and foremost, versatility has got to be number one. All across all of our skis, you have to be able to ski in a multitude of, of different conditions, even if it's more specific towards powder or towards hardback. Um, outside of that, we use... Northern Michigan, Seleka, Ash, and just about every ski that we make, um, you're going to find that that gives you great longevity in the flex of the ski. It keeps it poppy and energetic, yet still damp and smooth feeling. So you're going to, you know, really get that. And you notice that we play, you know, play into the fact that we have some of the best hardwood in the world in our backyard. So we use that to our advantage. You know, and outside of that, it's, you know, it's looking into, into custom options. When you look at ski design, you know, people aren't out there to make a bad ski, but you know, what kind of separates us is the, the versatility that we design for, and then coming up with the right product for the right person. Can I tell you one of the things I would say if I was asked this question please, about shaggies, fat tips, this is not, you guys, you guys do not have that like super skinny tip that then, you know, that starts from this heavily tapered point at the end you're sort of the opposite of that so do you want to talk a little bit about that is that yeah absolutely more an aesthetics thing or is that you know you hate 
skinny tapered tips or what's going on here? <laughs> um, that's a, that's a fantastic point. And that's something that I don't even like, it doesn't even, uh, you know, set off any alarms in my head, um, because I'm so used to seeing everything. The fact the fact of the matter is when we, you know, you look at the tips of our skis, they're not heavily tapered because we like to have longer side cut along the edge of your ski. So when it's rolled up on edge, you have more ski contact in the snow and it's going to grip really well. Um, and that's, I think, what you find like on our Amic 105, you know, it's a ski that's 105 millimeters underfoot, but when you lay it over on hard pack, it really grips. So that's one of the large, you know, a, a huge thing of, you know, in the design of like our Amic line, especially is that when it's rolled up on edge, that ski might be off the snow, you know, at the, at the tip of it with its rocker. But when you roll it up on edge, you're going to get effective edge length. So I'm over here kind of motioning with my hands of <laughs> skis rolled up on edge. Um, and I, I understand you can't see it, but I get a little, uh, you know, that's kind of how I visualize it. So once you've rolled that ski up on edge, you get full engagement of the effective edge length. And when you taper in that ski at the tip, you just, you lose effective edge. So it's not necessarily your contact surface or your running length of your ski, but the edge goes out longer. Um, and that, you know, that is somewhat of our Midwestern design um, or, you know, our Midwest roots kind of put that in our head because like I'll go back to every time, it's not just skiing in perfect conditions. It's also skiing on imperfect. But also one thing that we do to, you know, generally you see a ski with that, with that big, you know, fat tip on it. And you think, you know, how natural is it going to be when I'm, when I'm riding, um, you know, quickly, is it going to be grabby um, or is it going to catch? And what we do actually at the end of the ski at about the last 15% of the, the radius of the side cut, it's actually going to get elongated. So it's going to open up to a larger radius. So you'll see on like our Amic 105 at a 180 length, that goes from a 20 meter radius down the length of it to at the tip, it actually goes up to a 22. So you get a, you're getting a longer side cut. We know that that ski is going to bend more there. So you got a really natural curve without having to taper it in or, you know, or lose effective edge length. Before we dive into the collection, last kind of general question, graphics. I like what you guys have going on here. And so just curious, tell me a little bit about the art part of the ski. Because you know what? Turns out I hear that uh, people care what their skis look like. Absolutely. So the artwork on our skis notice year to year it is while it changes every year there's definitely consistent theming um and that all goes out to margaret stoney with high mountain creative she uh she's been person that's been working on our graphics since i think 2010 essentially like before we moved out of our barn we kind of let her run free with the designs we um so you know we say we always have to focus on like windows into the ski you on the majority of our skis you want to see you want to see the beautiful ash core um, or ash and poplar and we want to be bright and i don't want to say loud because it's certainly you know we don't want to have a <laughs> machine gun on our skis but you know it it's almost out of my uh it's almost out of my realm now that being said i mean we do custom graphics for for customers every day of the week so that's uh that's pretty cool to see too but that's definitely different from our our standard line but the custom graphics that is that's not just the random very occasional thing you're doing quite a bit of custom graphics yeah so on the custom front that's at least 35 percent of our business every year whether that's graphics um changing uh, flex or rocker profile for somebody um you know we have four different main construction styles and you know so we we do a lot of, of variation with the actual build of a ski but when it comes down to it we can pick out something that's going to work really well for a customer and then they're like well i want it to look my you know my way so like i said every day of the week there are there are custom skis going in and shipping out all right well maybe one more thing we before we get to the lineup should we talk about the four different build options sure we can absolutely do that so our main build options like we first start out with i'll call our standard um, and that is an all ash hardwood core. Um, it is laminated and flex indexed. You have UHMW sidewalls, fiber triaxial fiberglass top and bottom, and twelve layers of rubber. So it's a it's a fairly standard like kind of straight up layup. There's also carbon fiber that runs underneath the core, and that is going to be it's a burly 
like it, it's a burly ski while we can definitely change the flex and make you know a, a softer ski it still has that very i'll say you know you know that the ski's there it's not going to get deflected it's burly and sturdy that's the best way i can put it we go then into our our mid-light construction which is a blend of ash and poplar for the core so it's going to drop weight uh, we use a lighter weight fiberglass than in our standard construction. And then we add, we double the amount of carbon from a standard build. So what we're doing is essentially we're going to build that, uh, that ski back up to match the flex that we had in the standard build, but it's going to drop about 10% of the weight because we're adding poplar also to the ski. It's not quite as snappy as the ash. So the additional carbon that goes underneath the core in that ski is going to give it a little bit more pop and longevity. And that's the main synopsis of your of the midlight construction. It's a great daily driver ski. You know, you can do a little bit of touring with it. It's not going to be, it's definitely not the lightest option out there and not the heaviest. So it's a good middle of the road option, you know, for, like I said, a daily driver ski. Our next construction or layup style is what we call our, our nanomag damping system. So that kind of, it's actually this year, has been broken up into two different builds, whether we do that with a um, an all ash core or an ash and poplar core. And what the nanomag damping system is, is we take a magnesium alloy called nanomag um, that's thick so molded and can, the grain size of this magnesium is controlled down to the nanometer scale, hence the name nanomag. Um, and the nice thing about magnesium is its capacity to dissipate mechanical energy as heat. So we inlay an insert of magnesium into the core of the ski at a very specific location, slightly in front of the binding. And what it does is it really makes a smooth, damp riding ski without having to put a large piece of aluminum in the ski, um, which aluminum, while it's not significantly heavy, when you put it throughout the ski, it definitely makes a much more hefty ski where the magnesium is quite light and we're able to put a, a relatively small amount of it in to get that you know smooth, damp, build. So that is our nanomag damping construction. So I'd like to hear a little bit more about this, this kind of the magnesium versus aluminum, aka tetanol. I guess a couple ways to put this, like one, why not just use aluminum or tetanol? Is this going to be something where it's like, uh, it's actually going to be quite similar or you're like, nah, there's a reason we're not using aluminum. Just, I want to hang up on that because this sounds a little bit different. It's not something that you would see often, um, and especially in the fashion that we use it in. The main benefit of this material is that, one, it's it's lightweight. We're able to, it's, its ability, like I said, to convert mechanical energy, for example, your ski vibrating, to heat is tremendous. And it goes, the its capacity to do that increases with the rate of change of, of the motion of the ski. So the faster you ski, the more your ski chatters or vibrates. And while you might not see that in the actual ski motion, when you look at the, the modal analysis of that ski, of it vibrating, it's going through different mode shapes, which are different frequencies that your ski is being excited at. Now, this is able to dissipate a lot of that energy and keep a keep the ski um, fairly light, you know, without adding a big burly piece of aluminum in it. So, you know, that's a, I will say it's something that we worked on for, for a numerous, uh, number of years. Um, and we we're actually approached by a, an enterprise group at Michigan Technological University. That's where I went to school for mechanical engineering. So when I heard um, this group there was trying to find, they were trying to find uses for this material they had a another a guy who had developed this material 40 years ago and it had been licensed out for that entire time he was actually able to market it to to new areas so they were trying to find applications for it and they approached us and said would you be willing to put this in skis and try it so you know we we found that it it gives you that like i said that damp smooth feeling that you're familiar with in a, you know, in a metal construction ski without adding all the weight of a full sheet of aluminum. You know, it's kind of, you know, I, I don't know if that's beating around the bush, 
we like it. We like the way it performs. We have, you know, <laughs> we have done a lot of blind testing with the material, you know, of a ski with and without it. And you'll see this year now all of our, our Brockway line has that standard in every pair that we build. Um, it's also made in the U.S., which is fantastic. Well, Jeff, tell me a little bit more about that. Where Where is this being sourced or where is this being made and developed? Yeah, so this is being... Um, it's actually being processed in southern Michigan. Um, it is, you know, a product from the U.S., and that's a big part of our company is trying to source everything as local as possible. So if we have the opportunity to get something that comes from within country, we're going to do that always. Um, there's some things that we can't do that with, um, and those we, you know, we'll, we'll continue to try to <laughs> try to source um, sure. more locally, but. You know, that's an important thing to us. Now, is that value added for our customer? We believe it is. It performs well. People like it. And we're constantly evolving and, and trying new materials. But I would say that, you know, one, it's, it's value added for our customer. And two, it is, it's something that we can, you know, we're proud to buy an American product. You know, it's funny. We've been talking quite a bit recently about sort of, responsible manufacturing. And I think this came up maybe first with a conversation we were having with Wonder Alpine. And we were they were kind of talking about like sustainable manufacturing and how they are as a company talking and thinking more about not so much sustainable manufacturing, but responsible manufacturing. And it I think those are interesting details to hear from every builder um, because when we aren't merely asking the question about like environmental sustainability, and that is a fantastic thing that I hope every single company building literally everything from phones to skis to whatever, I hope they're thinking about that. But broadening the term to sort of responsible manufacturing now, that is a bigger calculus, right? And so that can get into questions about, um, well, if we get to reduce emissions because we aren't drawing in materials from so far away, maybe there's a benefit there. If it's employing people who live in our own communities, there's a potential benefit there. And there's a lot of ways to chalk this up. And I'm not going to come in and argue like everybody has to adhere to this particular algorithm. But I think it is interesting for um, consumers have a ton of freaking choices, right, when it comes to skis. And so I think learning about the details of, oh, that's how this company is doing this and approaching these questions around, say, responsible manufacturing. Here's how a different company is doing that. But I, as a consumer, can kind of just decide what resonates the most with me. I think that's really important stuff and is only going to become increasingly important. Well, I think that brings us to build option number four. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so build option number four for us is our pure carbon construction. And that's where we are going to replace all of the fiberglass in a ski with carbon fiber. Um, so, of course, you're going to have weight savings with that. Um, our goal with this construction and when, whether you choose, you know, a ski with a standard build or mid-light or pure carbon is the flex is essentially maxed, matched between the two skis or three skis. Um, so it's not like, oh, do I want to go for a pure carbon construction if, you know, is that stiffer? Is that better? Um, it's a different utility. If you're doing a lot of touring, it's great because obviously it's dropping weight. Um, it's a carbon is a very resilient material. It flexes over and over and over again, um, and it doesn't lose its stiffness um, as quick as fiberglass. Um, we use a unidirectional uh, carbon as well as a biaxial carbon, um, made it together above and beneath the core, um, and the core is going to be all poplar on that ski. So it's not going to be you know we're not dropping into some um, you know it kind of goes back into the sourcing local. It's not going into uh, you know into a polonia or a balsa. We have uh, we have poplar that we use. Um, it is not the absolute lightest wood core, but it is a strong, sturdy core. Um, and 
you know, we found that that blend works really well. Um, so that's kind of your fourth option in, if you're looking for a, you know, a lighter weight ski, you know, go with that. But it's important to know that like for most people, I would say as a daily driver ski, a different construction is going to be, going to be better. So it's really just a conversation to, you know, is which one to pick. What's your preferred construction of the four? Midlight. No doubt in my mind, I can say it's our midlight construction. Standard build on our Amic 105, you know, at a 180, it comes in just under 2,000 grams at a 105. So it's a good feeling ski. It's got some heft to it, but I'm super comfortable flicking it around in trees um, or in tight terrain. I will say when I go out, you know, when I'm out touring, I have a pair of skis. I, I've got some custom builds with a little <laughs> bit of uh, material that's not quite ready for prime time. Uh-huh. It's It's got a lot of carbon in it. But, you know, I do do that, but my go-to ski is midlight. This is not what I would have guessed. I mean, you're a bigger guy, right? So I thought for sure you were going to be saying nano mag. No, you know, I like if I'm going and skiing on, on a lot of icy terrain, I love having that. But, man, I love just laying into a... Uh, you know, like if I'm skiing on like fresh corduroy, it's super fun, but I can also, you know, jump into the trees and I'm not, you know, I'm not skiing, you know, the, the biggest terrain here, um, all the time, but also when I travel, I mean, those are, that's what I take with me. So you're a midlight guy. You like that lighter, poppier feel. I do. There we go. Okay. And I grew up, you know, I grew up racing. I was on, you know, one, what is it like 186, um, you know, GS skis. You know, so that's, it's a great feeling, but it's, you know, it's just different. Yeah. You're like, I've, I'm done with super damp, heavy skis. I did my time on those. I'm ready to have fun now. Absolutely. Okay. Fair enough. So, I mean, is that really true? Like this nano mag, I mean, to help people place this, are you like, this is a seriously burly, damp construction that you don't think most skiers should be getting on? Like how, how niche is this? Um, I, I wouldn't say it's too niche. It's a, you know, it's for somebody who says I like a, I like to rail on edge on, you know, you do a lot of hard pack skiing where that dampness is important. And I would say it's more important there than in like, uh, you know, if you're doing more, you know, free ride skiing fast, you could go with like our standard build or even, even the mid light, they still have ash cores in them. So they're going to be sturdy, but the, you know, it's, it's more of a, a hard pack thing where you want to maximize your, your grip. And I will say like the, the place that I feel the nano mag, say if you're just going and just railing down a, you know, a long hard pack run, I won't say groomers because soft groomers are easy to ski on just about anything. But when you get on true hard pack, when you have a ski, you know, hard pack or ice, when you have a ski with that, you know, the, at least our, you know, nano mag damping system, you're going to notice like behind your heel, you have a lot of grip. You can push on that ski. Whereas without it, like that's where I notice behind my heels that might tend to wash out a little bit more. It feels like you're glued to the snow more. So, you know, when you have that nano mag and it's, it's definitely for me, it's a feeling that, that you won't uh, like, it's not some gimmick that I can say, okay, you want the ski. It's, it feels damp and burly, um, but still energetic. So that's an, another big part because there's no metal behi- actually behind your, your foot. It's still popping and energetic, but you get the benefit of that. Time to get into some of the specific collections and, and walk through kind of the this year's lineup. Should we start with the Amique collection? Absolutely. Our Amique collection is our line of skis that we call you know, it's, it's kind of cliche to say, but they are, they bridge the gap between a strictly playful ski and a strictly powerful ski. And then we found that that's a, that's a segment that, you know, for, for some time was underserved. Maybe now it's not so much, but they are skis that you can get on and you can, you know, sit in the front of your boots, really rail a turn, lay into it and they'll hold for you. But they still have the playful aspects of you get a full twin on the skis you have our midlight construction standard on that ski, um, so they're definitely you know easy to whip around. You have a rocker tip, like I said, that full twin tail, and then camber with camber pockets underfoot. What those camber pockets do is they help increase your edge grip on on hard snow. And you'll notice that's just a a thing that I talk about a lot because they 
they're very subtle. You don't really see them um, if you're not looking for them, but they they help grip. So within that Amic line, you have our 95, 105, and 115. The 115 is obviously your that's your more powder specific ski. Um, it wants to seek out fresh snow, but will but will hold an edge um, if you're getting back to the chairlift. And they're actually a lot of fun to rail on. It's just like any ski that's 115, it's more work to roll up on edge. So you're not using it as your daily driver. Um, you have on the opposite side of that, the Amic 95. That's for a person who they say, I'm, you know, I want to one ski to do it all. I don't ski a lot of soft snow, but I do like to go in the trees. I do like to kind of, for lack of a better term, adventure on the mountain. You know, you're not just going to an open run. You are finding little side stashes. Um, and you want versatility. Um, and then you get, you know, minimal flotation. You get some. You can absolutely take out a 95. Everyone skied much less than that um, not too long ago. Um, so you can get out on that. But a great ski uh, just for a daily driver. And then you have in the middle of those the Amic 105, which is our number one best selling ski. And it's been that way for, I think this is the fifth season um, that it's been our, our best selling ski. And that is, that's the ski that, that kind of started it all. We built the 95 and 115 from the 105. So the 105 is that ski that we'll say the ideal skier for it is. Somebody who wants a, you know, one ski to take out everywhere with a bias towards soft snow. So, you know, if you're going and in skiing, you know, you're, you're traveling with one ski and you say, I've got to have something that's going to hold up if, if it doesn't snow. But when it does, I want it to float and have that, you know, fun factor. That's the ski for you. So just to get your take on say the 95 105 and 115 when you're advising potential customers would you say something like those three skis have an extremely similar feel it's just kind of pick the width the width you want or are you like well there's the 95 and then say the 105 is actually a much burlier ski and kind of in that regard set apart from like the 95 or 115 or talk to me a little bit about how much similarity or difference there is among the Ami 95, 105 and 115. Yeah, absolutely. So among the Ami line, the 95, 105 and 115, they are, they have the similar, you know, very similar feeling. And I will say more so similar characteristics between the three skis. So you're going to get that, like I said, that it, it bridges the gap. So you can lay on you, you can lay into them, the hold underfoot, but then you get a little bit more playfulness um, when you want to. I will say relax a little bit, for lack of a better term. Um, now, a two ski, the 95 and 105. They actually have the exact same side cut. They do not have the same rocker profile. Um, you get more rocker in the 105 than you do in the 95. Makes sense. You The 95 is more hard snow centric. Um, but you're going to notice that like, hey, this, if you like, if you love skiing on the Amic 105, but you want to ski that holds an edge better and is, you know, going to be more nimble, the 95 is like, is a clear cut choice for you. Um, because they are so similar in their, you know, in their actual skis. Um, when you go up to the 115, you definitely, you do get a different, um, you get a different side cut. It's, it's very similar, but the tip of the, the widest point in the tip is pulled back a little bit. So you get a little bit of taper in there. Um, and you get more rise in the tip and a little bit more rocker in the tail, um, leading into the twin. I would say they're definitely very much in the same, you know, they're the same family of skis. Um, they're not, you know, if you like, if you like the feeling of one of them, you'll like the feeling of the other ones. The 115 is probably the most um, surprising ski of all of them. Um, when somebody gets on it, they say, wow, I was not, you know, I was expecting, you know, it to be a lot of fun in powder and soft snow and, you know, busting through chop, but it's surprisingly nimble um, on hard pack. Now I never, you know, I would never sell that ski to a customer or recommend it to somebody who's using it as a daily driver. But time and time again, I, I hear back, people are like, 
wow, I was not expecting that. Um, so definitely a, a good, uh, good place. We have a lot of customers that actually, I would say like the 95 and 115 would be great complements to each other. You know, if you like that feeling of ski and you don't want to have a difference. Um, but we also have people that have 95s and 105s, which I understand why after the, the end of, end of the season, I skied on the 95s a lot more, um, than I ever have. And, you know, you, you just get that little bit, you know, quicker response from dropping down and you get the same feeling of the ski. So it's a long winded way of saying, yes, they're very similar in characteristics. Let's talk about the Brockway series. Yeah. So the Brockway line of skis comes in widths of 80, 90 and a hundred millimeter um, widths underfoot. And those skis are, those are meant to be your more traditional, you know, essentially most of those skis um, between those three sit at uh, minus nine centimeters for your mount point. So it'll kind of give you, uh, you know, a point of reference. It's not like as far back as a um, mostly, you know, like just a strictly, you know, front side ski, but they're getting close. They are meant to be skied in, you know, in the front of your boots driving into a turn, they're stiffer flexing. They have, they come stock with our nano mag damping system. Um, so you get that, you know, that smooth feeling, uh, but they are a little bit of energy coming out of a turn. It'll really, you know, you can really support, you know, those skis will support you, but they'll also give you energy out of a turn. And again, that's kind of a characteristic of that um, nano mag build. In those, you have a pretty traditional side cut. They still, like we talked about earlier, where you notice, you know, fat tips, you have that radius that extends at the tip. So it gets longer. So it's a really natural, a natural turn shape versus, you know, having something that feels hooky or grabby. And among those skis, you know, the 90 is kind of, that's our, that's our bestseller among the Brockways. It's a, you know, it's, I'd say for the person who looks at a ski, they say, I'm going to look up at the hill. And I want to, you know, I want to make a lot of turns on the way down, not necessarily a slalom turn, but, you know, quicker turns and they're driving in the front of your boots, kind of like a, you know, like an all mountain race ski esque kind of feeling in there. Um, the 100 is a big burly. I mean, if you imagine um, taking like a cheater GS ski and bumping it up to a hundred underfoot, you'll see how big the tip is. You have a lot of side cut and it's just strong and powerful and wants to, you know, it wants to run fast and just blow through anything in its path. And then on the 80, you get, uh, it's going to be much more nimble than obviously the 100, but more so than the Brockway, you have more camber in that ski and less tip rise. All three skis have virtually a flat tail. Um, there's, a, you know, just a little bit of turn up. So if you're sliding backwards on hard pack, you're not going to dig in or anything. Um, but, you know, it's more on the traditional side of, I want to ski. I want it to carve really well. I'm not concerned about, you know, going and skiing in tight terrain. Um, and that's the, that's the Brockway line. Do you think of them and sell them primarily as on piste skis? Or do you, do you think that that would do a disservice to their versatility? And because frankly, I just hate it when people like we see sort of front side skis and it's like super versatile ski them everywhere. And I'm like, that's a stupid thing to say. Like these clearly excel on piste and they clearly suck relative to a zillion other options. If you truly want something that is going to be, say, more forgiving in and more maneuverable in trees or big moguls. So this is the this is the truth serum portion of the of our conversation. Like, what are these things really? Yes, the eighty is definitely an on piste ski. That is something you're keeping it on prepared snow. You know, whether it's groomers or ice, um, that's just for railing back and forth. The ninety and the one hundred, I would take. I would gladly take out. You know, after a powder morning and you're just skiing through chop and you're busting through it and you're railing into it. I'm not taking those skis in, um, you know, on a tree run. They absolutely, you know, they absolutely can. It depends on your skiing style. Um, the majority of people, you know, they like to have a 
tail that releases a lot quicker than the Brockway line um, in the trees. But I also have, you know, probably, you know, one of the, one of my buddies that's, he's a, I will say he's an exceptional skier and he likes to, uh, you know, he does like hop turns darn near in really tight terrain and he loves standing on the tail of his skis and we build him custom amiques with a flat, with a Brockway tail. So I don't want to, you know, cut off and say like, no, you can't do it, but they are, you know, more open runs. So whether that's, you know, like the Brockway 100 would be a great day when you go and get eight or 10 inches of of fresh snow on top of groomers. You go and you just, you know, and you have a blast on that open run and you're not worried about making super quick turns. And then it turns into crud, you bust through it, and then you go and ski on a groomer with, you know, for the rest of the day. So that's kind of where I put that ski. Um, open runs, the eight, the ninety and one hundred, totally fine um, when it's you know when it's mixed conditions. But I'm not taking it, uh, yeah, into the trees or um, anything like that. Where are we going next? So next you have, oh, we have our, our women specific, which definitely fit right, and I can I can touch on those real quick. I don't mean to like cut them off or, or say I'm going to go real quick on them, but we have our Bell 80 and 90 line, which kind of segue into the into the Brockway line. They actually, the 80s and 90s in some of the links will share the same molds as the Brockway 80 and 90. They are slightly softer flexing. They still have our Nanomag damping system. You get a little bit more rise in like the Bell 90 um, than you see in the 80, but they're very similar in characteristic to like I said, the Brockways, they are slightly softer flexing because generally the user on that ski is a lighter person. They are, you know, every ski that we make, I, I will say, you know, we don't make skis for beginners. We, while you can absolutely put a beginner on plenty of the skis that we make, nothing is going to be, you know, geared towards um, the person who goes and, you know, is only out a couple of times a year. There are different products for that that work much better for them um, than something from us. But, you know, like our, uh, our Bell 80, it might be softer flexing than the Brockway 80, but it has all the same characteristics of it's a front side on piste ski. It's going to really hold an edge well. The 80 millimeter width makes it real quick and nimble edge to edge. Um, you know, and to talk about them as totally different skis does a, it does a disservice to either one of them because they play on each other. Um, so much. So the Bell 90, um, that is one of our best-selling women's all-mountain skis. That is a, that's a great ski for taking out when you are on, you know, whether you go out and you're going to find a little bit of powder in the morning, you are going to ski on a hardback later, you're going to bust through the chop, you know, do a little bit of everything it's a strong ski. It's just like, like I was talking about the Brockway 90. Um, but generally we'll also, you know, I would say that a smaller person on a bra- on a Bell 90, you know, you're going to get more flotation. It's going to be a little bit more soft snow centric. Um, but they share all the same characteristics um, other than that slightly softer flex. Um, and then you have our Medora 95 and 105, which again are uh, siblings to the, Amik 95 and Amik 105. So the Medora 95 is our best-selling women's ski. That is, it, it has that same characteristic of the Amik line that bridges the gap between playful and powerful. It's a ski that you can take out and you don't have to drive into it to make the ski turn. I mean, you don't have to really drive into the front of your boots to make the ski turn. It's not so you know, demanding that it wants to have that. But when you do want to drive into it, they're going to, they're going to hold up for you and they are going to grip better than you expect. And just to clarify the Medoras like the bells, the Medoras are a bit softer flexing than the Amiks. Okay. Yeah. I actually really like the Medora graphics and I like, I like this approach too. I know that like, there's this, right, everybody always says about, like, women's ski stuff. It's like the shrink it and pink it, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, listen, if you are a lighter person, 
like if you're a really light person, get the Medora. It's a cool graphic. And if you happen to be a heavier female, just get on the Amique. And I, exactly. I like this. I like this world actually, where let's I don't know. People have different opinions on this, and that's totally fine and valid. But like, how about we just stop worrying about men's and women's? Put cool graphics on stuff and be like, this one is stiffer. You know, this one is softer. If you are a heavy person and like a really soft ski, go here. If you are a lightweight person and are worried you can't bend the stiffer version, go here. And it's like, I don't know. I think we can, this in a way isn't that complicated. Wholeheartedly agree with that statement. And we actually have a lot of people who, you know, go for that. If you, if you notice, you know, looking on these, sure, the, you know, the colors might be a little bit more feminine on the Medora than the, than the Amique, but we, it doesn't say women's on that, you know, on our right. our main collection page, it doesn't say women's because in fact, there's a lot of guys that we make that, you know, if you're a smaller guy and they look a playful ski, we'll build the Medora, do the Medora 95 build with the Yamik 95 top sheet um, and vice versa. We do that all the time. And it, you know, it's about utility and matching the ski for the right person. If the, you know, if you're, if you want a, you know, a 105 that's going to be a little bit softer without doing a custom build, the Medora 105 is, you know, going to be more playful for you. It's going to plane out quicker in softer snow. So that's a, you know, that's a great option. So I think, it, you know, it's important to say that. And, you know, we can't have, we can't sell skis and not have an option for when, you know, somebody comes in and says, well, where's your women's ski? We, we, we have that option for them, but that's why we say everything is truly unisex. And then there's the, the softer version in these four skis. Okay, so where are we going next here, Jeff? Next, we're going to kind of flop to the opposite side of the spectrum from like the Brockway and Bell line to the softer side of skis. So you've got the Sarge 95, which we call like an all-mountain jib ski, and then we have our Tubby 120, which is a pure powder ski. It's made for soft snow, soft snow, and more soft snow. Um, So... The, the Sarge 95, um, in that playful side, it flexes quite a bit. It's very poppy because it has an all-ash core. But, you know, it's that ski where it has a mounting point that's 30 millimeters behind the true center of the ski. So it's close to a center mount. It is a, I will say, it's close to a, it's the most new school ski that we have, for lack of a, a different term. You know, it's that person that wants is something that is going to, you know, essentially somebody who says, I want a soft, soft all mountain ski that with a full twin. And, you know, a lot of people who get on that ski are, you know, maybe somebody who used to be a park skier. And I want something that has a similar feeling, but has more versatility when I get outside the park. A lot of people who are moving away from that, you know, maybe you've gotten a couple years older and you don't want to break your body quite as much. Um, but you love that feeling and you want that, um, you know, maybe a little bit wider platform or something that's just going to generally have a little bit more um, versatility. That's the ski to go to. And then you have, like I said, the Tubby 120, which powder is the name of the game. It has a big pinned tail. This actually is its one of the most fun skis, I will say, like to design. Um, this is in its, I believe this is its fifth, uh, fifth revision. I mean, it's a and each revision is a totally new build. And for 2021, we took, there's three of us sitting up in my office and uh, we said, you know, we went around the shop and we have some old, um, some of our old models hanging in our, in our showroom. And we went and grabbed, you know, said everyone like, go and grab your favorite powder ski that we've ever made. And what do we have to do to, you know, like take all the characteristics that we like and make an unapologetic ski that's just for powder. It doesn't have to be for anything else. It's We're not going to sell a ton of them compared to our all-mountain line, but make something that is just will make you smile when you're on the hill. So you've got the big pintail. You have a ton of rocker in that ski. There is essentially um, about four inches of flat underfoot, and that's it. it. So it's almost, you know, it's essentially like a, a full reverse camber ski. Um the tail pins in, so it's really slashy. 
it is it has a long radius on that ski and it is soft flexing um so you know the best thing i can say is like if you want a ski for just when it's deep when you know especially like when we talk about you know powder in michigan like when we're in the upper peninsula um the snow is really, really light. The density is very low. It's that lake effect snow that comes off of the Great Lakes. So, you know, you might have eight inches, but you know, a ski that's 105 might not float that well in it. So, you know, that's where you have that, you know, that one, that softer ski that's super easy to flex into. It might not be the, you know, the, the biggest charger, but it's like that golden retriever that keeps wanting the, wanting you to come back. <laughs> The Golden Retriever. If you ever tire of the name Tubby, the Tubby 120, it's maybe the Golden Retriever 120. There we go. I like it. I think we just have one more ski to go here, right? Yep. And that last ski is our Phoenix 105. That comes standard with our pure uh, pure carbon build. So that is a, it's pretty much, I'll call a, a backcountry specific ski. It has a fair amount of taper in the tip and tail it's not worried about skiing on hard pack. You know, you notice a lot of our skis don't have that taper. You have that fat tip. Well, that pins in more. Um, it's not worried about skiing on, you know, having a really good um, edge grip when you're ripping down a groomer because usually you're out touring, you're looking for good snow, and you want, um, you know, just that solid performance in the, in the soft snow. Um, when you find a, a section of windblown um, ice, you want to ensure you want to be able to stand on it and hold an edge and have a predictable ski. Um, so that's definitely very important with it. Um, but it is more soft snow centric, um, especially for a 105 versus like our Amik 105. Um, your mounting position is further back and, you know, you have early rise in the tail. You don't have a full twin. It's, it really kind of transitions from early rise. Um, and it, you know, kind of ends rather than having an abrupt turn up. Um, and you get, obviously your, uh, we, we put a, uh, a notch in the tail so you can easily center your skins on there. Um, but it is, you know, it's a ski for somebody who's looking for a lightweight, um, uh, backcountry option. And, uh, you know, it's actually been cannibalized quite a bit by, um, our Amic 105 with a pure carbon build. Um, but you know, the people who want that more directional, you know, it, it's a, I, I sometimes I struggle with, you know, describing this, the, the person, when I talk to him, I know exactly what, you know, what ski to put him on. Um, but just talking about the ski, it's more of a, it's, it's just truly a, it's a directional soft snow ski with a 105 millimeter package. That's not going to, you know, it's not going to be so wide that it's, you know, too hefty going uphill, but it is, you know, it's stiff and it's powerful and, uh, it wants to be, you know, it's light on the way up, but, but it is a burly stiff ski for, uh, you know, charging on the way down. And it's only available in two lengths, 174 and 180 centimeters. Let's say in the 180, give me the ballpark weight on this thing. I will say that that ski was actually developed for a, a bid we were doing uh, for the Marine Corps, I don't know, I think seven years ago. Um, we kind of decided not to, um, not to pursue that, but you are... Um, it can't, we, we decided rather than, you know, pursuing this, you know, contract, we're just going to launch the ski to the public. Um, at a 180, you're, you're at about 1,725 grams per ski. Um, so definitely not the lightest, you know, carbon tool out there. But when you grab one, you're like, wow, this is a, you know, this is a solid ski um, that's meant to be, you know, really meant to be driven. I mean, that's a nice weight, I think, for a 180. I Still in my book, that qualifies as light enough without making me worry that it's going to ski like garbage. So interesting. Okay. Well, we did it. I think that was kind of everything. Yeah. What else should we touch on before I let you go? You know, I think the you know thing that I would reiterate to anyone that's, you know, checking out our line is we are, we're big on picking the, you know, helping you get on the right ski. So if any, you know, if any of it's confusing, just call us. There's only, you know, you're going to talk to you know, maybe three people that are answering the phones. Um, and we're also doing a lot, lots of other stuff. But we have so many different options in, you know, in, in the build style. And, 
you know, it, it's, I don't want to do, you know, our, our standard line of skis, you know, an injustice by saying you need to change something because we really work hard to make those work for a, a vast majority of people. But there are so many different options that we can get you on something that is, you know, it's, it's economical to, to do these changes, you know, or a different um, construction style rather than coming up with a full, you know, full custom build. You know, we have these things that we, we do regularly and we're, you know, we're happy to do it and happy to discuss it with everything or you know, with any, with any customer and go over all their options. But you know, that's, that's the thing about us where we run lean with our production. So, you know, pretty much once we get through our backlog from COVID <laughs> here um, and being a couple months behind, you know, generally it's, it's a week and a half to two weeks. And, you know, from you order your skis to you get them um, or, or at least we ship them. And, you know, that includes whether you're doing custom graphics or a custom build. Um, so we're, uh, we're definitely happy to change anything up and work quick for you. Well, Jeff, appreciate the time, and it's good to kind of catch up again. Um, and on that note, I'm going to let you get back to building skis. Yeah, here's, here's hoping that we just have a really nice winter. <laughs> that's <laughs> honestly, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm really hoping for at this point, um, that we all get some good snow. I still, uh, I'm still hoping someday to make it back to the Midwest and get some skiing in. I, I cannot make any commitments today about when this might happen, <laughs> but it really would. I, it would be super fun to, um, to get some skiing, get some Midwest skiing in. So um, if and when I'm going to be able to make it back your way, I will, I will certainly let you know and uh, it'd be fun to link up. Please do. We'd love to have you uh, for Shaggy's family vacation at Mount Bohemia. It's a, uh, it's a great time, but anytime you're around, give us a call. All right. All right. Well, hey, I'll let you get going. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Have a good one, Jonathan. All right. Well, for this week's What We're Celebrating segment, it seemed like there could be one and only one thing that would make its way into this segment because Luke Kappa literally just got back from skiing on September 9th here in Crested Butte. So given that skiing makes Luke happier than like literally everything in the world, Luke, I figured you should tell us a little bit about how your first <laughs> surprise outing of the ski season just went. Uh, yeah, so it's been a weird week in terms of weather. On Monday, we had extremely dense wildfire smoke from, I think it was mostly from the Californian fires, but there's also a few major fires going on in Colorado as well. And it was like 80 degrees three days ago. And then it dropped to about 20 last night. And I think by my house, there was about, my roommate measured just about 10 inches on our handrail. And that was September 8th. So I, I've been doing the ski at least once a month, every month for, I think I'm, I'm, I'm coming up either on four years or five. I can't remember. It tends to blend together. But anyway, this was by far the most fresh snow I've ever skied this early. I had once I skied like an inch of like grapple on a glacier in late September, but uh, I couldn't really pass up this excuse, especially because there's like no snow left anyway. And I would have had to walk a lot more to get to it, to get to way worse snow at that. So anyways, I went to my go-to partner in crime for this sort of very weird skiing outing, which is fellow reviewer Drew Kelly, who is always as stoked, if not usually more stoked than I am to go do weird skiing things. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, I was, I was initially planning like, I mean, it's a weird random storm. There's absolutely no base. So I was like, oh, we can just find a grassy hill. But <laughs> Drew is like, no, we're going to ski Coney's, which is like a popular actual backcountry spot. And I think he said it was like, it's about like 1200 vert. So like we actually use skins, which I don't think I've ever used in September before. My hip flexors are absolutely destroyed because apparently biking doesn't translate to that part. But I mean, we were skiing like there was there was close to a foot in areas and like it fell in the perfect 
density like it was super heavy at first so the base is really dense but then it like got lighter and lighter it was also like nuking the entire time we were skinning up and like i like the photos are kind of funny because like you you can barely see drew because there's just so much snow coming down Uh, i also learned that skiing back seat is really hard because like we were not like not trying to go over the bars and tumble through whatever was underneath the snow so we were just doing like backseat slarvy slash hop turns um and were like legitimately exhausted by the end of it also did plenty of bushwhacking which i think is like required if you ski in september we saw a hawk uh, we had to wait for a bunch of cows on the road. Yeah, all in all, it was awesome. And it's also super cool because like the Aspens, some of them have started to turn yellow, but most of them are just like this neon green right now. And especially, and like no snow sticks the Aspens. So the contrast between them and all the pine trees that do have a ton of snow stuck on them, all in all, it was just super cool. And it was so nice to see this valley covered in snow again, the peak covered in snow and you just had that like super quiet, uh, just like no noise whatsoever when everything's covered in snow. So yeah, it was it was a very, very good Wednesday morning. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That was a very good trip report. And, um, you know, I have to say for me personally, I know you recently have been like, dude, I need snow. When can we ski? I still just am loving riding bikes right now. So we're a little bit at odds on this one and uh because i think it's supposed to go back to like sunny and fairly warm oh yeah it's 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 gonna be gone in a few days and that's gonna be awesome for trail conditions so it's like best of both worlds yeah exactly so this is a great what we're celebrating segment because you and drew got to go skiing it has been full-on winter here like the last 48 hours it's been wild But then, you know, in a couple days, it's going to be beautiful and bright and sunny and the trails and the dirt should be like perfect. So then I will, you know, back to I'll be getting my world back uh, as well. So it is we're all winning. We're all winning right now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's nice to get a win every once in a while, especially in 2020. getting that win in 2020, um, take them where you can get them. So, well, hey, man, you should probably get to work. Uh, yeah. since, you know, I've been holding it down for us today. So I'm going to let you get to work. I'm glad you and Drew got your turns in. And yeah, man, I'll be talking to you in like 30 seconds from now, I'm sure. So uh, but we'll, yep. we'll wrap this for now. Sounds good. All right, man. Take care. See ya. Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Jeff for the conversation. And you can go check out all of the Shaggies lineup at skishaggies.com. And I guess I'll thank Luke for coming on, even though maybe Luke should be thanking me because I let him go ski pal this morning. So Luke, you're welcome. And Thanks for sharing the trip report because that was actually real fun. So that's it for today. Thanks, everybody. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will be talking with you again real soon. And we've got a great lineup of podcasts coming this next week. So if you haven't already, subscribe to the Blister Podcast. Subscribe to Gear 30, of course. Subscribe to Bikes and Big Ideas and subscribe to Off the Couch, and you will be the most up-to-date, informed person, like, in the whole world, maybe. Okay, that's it. I'll let you go. Talk to you soon.